All right, salutations, listeners. See Valas Vallejo. Vala Mogulis. Nano Nano. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Culp here. And Jackson Garlington. Action Jackson, as we affectionately know him. In this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wild world of cinema. In the show, we try to target movies that are not blockbuster smashes. We also try and target movies that are not so obscure that you couldn't get your hands on a copy even if you wanted to. Instead, we like to aim for that delightful sweet spot of movies that are right in the middle. The good ones, the best ones, the unsung heroes of the cinematic world. We aim for films that, in our experience, too many people haven't seen. Maybe some that people have only heard of, or ones that some may have seen but forgotten about since they initially came out and deserve another watch. We review these movies, and then we deliver to you our take on whether or not uh, we like them, whether we didn't, and whether it's worth your time to go and watch it. In this, the 11th? 12th. 12th. Lucky number 12. Lucky number 12. That's what people say. Some say. The big one, too. (laughs) The prequel to the next lucky number? Oh, yeah. Seven. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the prequel yeah. to seven. <laughs> we're, we're into some interesting math here. Yeah. Like hyperbolic geometry. We're looping common, back on ourselves. Yeah, I think it's common core. It's like volume two. Yes. Thanks, Obama. Jeez. <laughs> oh, wow. Maybe. Classic. Oh, uh, uh, that's funny. Showing my cards. No, but he's, he's a gentleman and a scholar. Uh, so <laughs> we are in this 12th episode reviewing the movie Enemy Mine. Enemy Mine. Now, that is Enemy mine not mind and we're not i mean we we're not referring to a like a like a mine what what in what context are we using the word mine like is he taking his enemy or is he presenting his enemy with some explosive device you know what mm. what is the context of like would it be enemy claymore mine or yeah enemy landmine proximity mine yeah Ooh. yeah or is it like enemy gimme that or like that's my enemy, and then the the sequel, the natural sequel, enemy thermal detonator. Makes yes. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a toss up. It's kind of a puzzler. Uh, so this movie, yeah, I guess we're just gonna slam you with some IMDb shit right here because, um, yeah, I think I think we need to like get that out of the way because we've got some shit to talk about with this movie. So, enemy mine came out in nineteen eighty five. Uh, deep in the Reagan era. Wow, we're really on the president kick yeah, today. Big I don't on, know. I have no that. idea. I was primed, I think, to say yeah. that. <laughs> Good job, Bush. <laughs> Thanks, Clinton. Thanks, Jeez. Nixon. Uh, rated PG-13, uh, an hour and 48-minute uh, runtime. IMDb has the description of this movie as, During a long space war, the lives of two wounded enemies become dependent on their ability to forgive and to trust. Yeah. Thoughts on that? That's kind of hits it. Yeah, I, yeah, I it feel like sort of hits it, but it's leaving a lot unsaid. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I feel like a lot of the other movies that we reviewed, the IMDb description really kind of nails it, and it gets the nuts and bolts without giving too much away. That doesn't give any. This doesn't give anything away. But like it, that is the bare minimum of what you need to know about this movie. You might as well have just written, you know, Space Cowboy. And left it there. Spowboy. Spowboy. As, as some have called them. Yes. Uh, they're everywhere. It's they're, true. They are the the galaxy's venereal disease. They're hidden among us. Oh, God. Spowboys. What was the runtime you said? You said, was it 140? 148. 
Now, it's 148 or is that an hour and 48? Hour and 48, sorry. My B. So, uh, again, we're not, not in spoilers here. I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, it felt longer. It felt a lot longer. I don't mean that as a necessarily as a criticism. No. But it the pacing. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I complete, I actually agree with both of you. I, I, I do feel like it, it feels longer, but I feel like kind of the way this movie progressed... Mm-hmm. It's sort of to be expected, but hopefully you guys will get that when you get eyes on this. Or if you want to listen into the podcast, maybe you'll understand a little bit more uh, about why we are saying such things about such a gem. This was directed by Wolfgang Peterson, obviously. Wolfgang. Wolfgang. I mean, Wolfgang Peterson. What else has Wolfgang Peterson done? I mean, um,. The Galactic Report, mm. um, Jenny Starpepper, and the Seven-Headed Worm. Yep. Uh, uh, Amadeus? Uh, yeah, well, uh, probably. Wolfgang? Uh, okay, so I have no idea who the fuck Wolfgang Patterson is. Peterson? It's Peterson. Peterson. It's Peterson, my bad. Uh, He's a German Viking, clearly. Y- yes, yes, son of Peter. Yes. But I think he did an okay job. I I would say so, yeah. He directed Das Boot. Oh, for fuck's das sake. Boot. I feel really bad now. I love that movie. Yeah, was actually, up. he's got. Some oh my god, he's story. got some fucking street cred. Wow. The Neverending Story. Oh my god, did he really? Are Air Force s- One wow. with Han Solo. I, I Air feel Force bad One. Now. Wow. I feel like we did we're, Wolfgang dirty. Yeah, we're bad people. Yeah. Wir gegen die Bank. Oh my god, I love Wir gegen die Bank. <laughs> also known as Four Against the Bank. <laughs> uh, he did Troy. Everybody wow, I, Troy. I didn't know he did Troy. That's that's kind of. Oh shit, he, he did the he did the Perfect Storm. And Air Force One. Fucking hell. Yeah. All right. I'm sorry, Wolfgang. Yeah, I feel yeah. super bad because this dude's got some fucking... I kind of like... feel like a dick now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get this some... This dude bangs. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get some hate mail. Yeah, we He's are. Gonna call Honestly, us. send us hate mail. Like, we haven't gotten any mail yet, so... Just send us something. Send us something. Just toenail clippings, anything at this point. <laughs> Post-it notes. Hungry. Stand outside my house and breathe heavily for, like, hours... That'd be fine. Just yell at my apartment. You could you could literally burp into an envelope and send it to us. And yeah. we would still be excited. Yeah, I'd be pretty, pretty excited cool. about that. Rip it open and go, ooh, hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Another human. Another human. Yeah. And we know what they eat. Yeah. yeah. So, who, uh, <laughs> so who starred in this movie? All right. So stars, we've got right off the bat, Dennis Quaid. What else has he done? Like ever? Yeah. I think he was in an episode of uh, Ellen. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. I think yeah. He he's kind of like a one episode kind of guy. Just yeah. like pops in and. Sort of a one hit wonder. He was, yeah. I mean, nobody knows who Dennis Quaid is. No, Dennis Quaid, obviously amazing. Uh, Dragonheart, which got brought up during the movie. Yeah, um, actually. Oh my God, I love Dragonheart. So good. So, such a classic. One of my favorite movies of all time is like a special movie for my family and, and is actually on our list to review is Undercover Blues. Oh, which is yeah. With Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner, which yeah, is an amazing movie. What else we got Dennis Quaid in? Inner Space? Yep. That was a good one with Martin Short. Yeah, so Dennis Quaid, most people, I think, he's a pretty household name. Very handsome, very charming guy. And this is 1985 Dennis Quaid. So, like... Total babe. Yeah, dude. Like, there's a couple scenes where his shirt is, like, a little off. And, dude, he is chiseled. Water world. Wasn't that Dennis Quaid? No, it was Kevin Costner. It was Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner, Dennis Quaid, same guy, actually. True. It just depends on the lighting. That's yeah. That, I've I've heard this. Yeah. W- whether they like light them bo- from below or from above. Yeah. I think like, it, I prefer yeah. below, honestly. Yeah. I don't know which one that is, but I also prefer from below. Yeah. Just because it casts some some pretty dank shadows. Yeah. As above, so below. <laughs> it's a little little movie joke I threw it's, in there. You know, the, some call him 
Mr. Pig. Mr. Pig. Uh, I'd say the the second biggest name here, I'm probably going to butcher this name, Louis uh, Gossett? Louis yeah, Louis Gossett? Gossett Jr. Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah, uh, you may know him from Jaws 3D. <laughs> you uh, may. You will not know him from Jaws 3D, guaranteed. <laughs> uh, but he was in Roots. Yeah. And he was... Officer and a Gentleman. Officer and a Gentleman, He's yeah. also in Watchmen, which was interesting. In the in the current version of it. Yes. Uh, the, the, I think the HBO... Yeah, I have not watched that. I need to get on that. It's pretty good. Is you should good? check it out. I haven't either. I enjoyed the movie. Yeah, and I I love the the graphic novel. Um, okay, so the last name not a not a household name, but somebody that we may want to uh, pick out just because he's got like a face you'll recognize probably. Brian James, who he's kind of a he's kind of a mean looking dude. Uh, so we got Brian James in Blade Runner as like one of the replicants early in the film that like kind of loses his shit with the turtle analogy and, um, you know, ends up getting taken out by Blade Runner, blah, blah. He was also the general in the fifth Uh, element who was, he was kind of older in that film. I think they, I mean, that, that film came out later, but yeah, yeah. I mean, that film came out a little later anyway, but I, I think they, they put some years on him. Uh, do we think we've hit the sort of IMDb highlights, or is there anything else that we want to we want to chip away at? I think we've hit the spark notes for for the most part. Are we moving into uh, recommendations before a little spoil action? I think so. I think, right. that, I think that that was nice. Okay. We'll, we'll we'll dip a toe in. Just Which a, toe though is the question? I'm uh, going second to the left of the right. Oh. See, I prefer the middle toe. It's the longest, but it's also one mm. of the skinniest. So you okay. get you know a nice depth, but not a whole lot of contact. I like it. Okay, so the middle toe being the longest, that whole thing. A, I don't feel like it should be the longest. I, <laughs> I would you, agree with but, you. But it doesn't are, make any but sense. But are you saying it's the longest from where it comes out of the foot? Or are you saying Ooh, it, is, it, it actually extends the farthest, oh, like... It depends uh, on the foot. I feel like if it's if it's just the longest bit of the foot, the, the furthest out, you might want to file it down. Yeah. Wait, are you trying to insinuate here that it's not your longest toe? It is most certainly not my longest toe. It's my longest toe. It's your my middle, longest toe. Your middle yes. toe is yeah. your longest Absolutely. toe. 100%. 100%. Not, not, the, not the physical length of it. I'm saying if you... From where it comes out of the foot, but like it, it, it extends the furthest. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, you ever seen E.T.? It's basically that, except oh, once whoa. in the middle. Yep. Oh my god. I've got to see this. Hang on here. Ugh. All right, not, Mark. Mark is slightly this. disrobing. Yeah, sorry, is, sorry, listeners. This is a little oh, detour that we need to oh, take. Yeah, this is an adventure. What is that? Oh my God, he's checking which foot it's on. This is. So <laughs> this is symmetry is for losers. <laughs> this is important. This is breaking news. You forgot which foot it's on. You should shut up about that. Yeah, no. Um. Ooh, it's a, it's a close. No, that's not your middle toe. That's your middle toe. Oh no, no. Okay. Dude, there's five fucking digits on a toe. I'm not a mathematician, okay? <laughs> not the middle toe, the index finger toe. Oh, uh, uh, yes, that, okay. Yeah, see, that's what I was referring to. Oh, as well. okay, okay. All right. Okay, so, so we got that, our wires crossed. Fine. So that is called the Morton's toe. The Morton's toe. You don't know that. It is legitimately called uh, the Morton's toe. So I, I personally <laughs> am dipping my Morton's toe into the summary of this film. How's that for a for a, for a, a tagline? Ooh, I like it. Just a little Morton toe. Yeah. That is wonderful. And I gotta, I gotta say. Say, please, for the love of God, if somebody out there whose actual middle toe, the the third, counting from either the left or the right, if that is the toe that extends the farthest away from the foot. Foot picks. Please fucking send us that. I Whoa. I am not a foot guy, 
but like goddamn i need I to need, lay eyes on that yeah that needs to be a thing <laughs> be careful what you ask for Okay. Yeah, it's just we're, our inbox gonna is going to be filled with dicks. Yeah. Butts and toes. I feel it's going to be like dicks photoshopped onto feet. That would also be interesting, although I'm not sure I want to see that. That is not something I want. To... I might I might open that email. Yeah. I might, I'd, I probably, might I'd probably give it a glance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is an about face. <laughs> okay, so recommendations. I recommend this movie. I had some earlier comments about the pacing. We'll get into that, but this was this was a, this is a good movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I recommend it. Um, moving on, we'll go Jackson. All right, Jackson here. Um, I would most definitely recommend this movie uh, to friends, to family, to people I don't even know, which is most of you. Um, I You should give it a watch. It's definitely worth sitting down for an hour and 48 minutes. Mm. I completely agree. I, I love this movie. Um, yeah, my only, my only caveat with recommendation is like, I feel like there is a a small but very noticeable like contingent of our generation that's really sensitive to like things that are like a little cheesy or or you know there's a lot of cheese goofy there there's is. a lot of cheese it's and corny. I, I feel like it's not corny yeah that's the, that's what I'm looking for it's not um I I love that stuff absolutely like I I'm I'm sensitive to it, but in the other way. Like I see that, and I'm totally like enthralled. And I don't feel like it gives anything away to say it's it's cheesy and corny. But like if you're the kind of person who's sensitive to that, this may not be your film. But anybody else on the street, and you know, my personal recommendation, if I had to go back in time before I've seen it and say, "Hey, Colin," I would absolutely say, "Watch this effing movie." Yeah, I would say more than than a lot of movies that I've seen. If you don't buy into this one, I don't. I don't know if you're gonna like. It. Like, there is definitely a, a certain like. You know, there's that suspension disbelief, of course. But you know, you have to decide to be invested in the characters because, um, again, there, this isn't giving anything away. There aren't that many uh, actual characters in this narrative. Um, so if you're not vibing with uh, with the two leads, turn it off because that this movie is built upon their chemistry. Um, so if you're not, if you're not feeling it, that's it. You're done. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Um, however, I would say like the first 15 minutes, you're still getting like acquainted, give it a half an hour because it's the second 15 minutes in the first half an hour. That's where you should sort of be like testing the waters. And like, if you're not interested, you're not buying in like, yeah, you're, you probably won't for the rest of the movie, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like, you know, I think most people can and will, yeah. you know, but, but, but you have to. You have to give it just a tiny bit of effort, especially nowadays. In 1985, you probably would not have to have given it any effort. No. But now, it because it seems corny and cheesy and a little, you know, heavy-handed in some regard, mm-hmm. um, it's definitely something that, that, yeah, be aware when you're watching it in a good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Are we are we ready to, to just... Spoil the crap out of it? Spoil the shit out of this movie. Wep, 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 wep. Spoilers! Spoilers! Would you like to uh, offer up a blam? I, I I would love to. Okay, uh, the floor is all yours. Oh, that was a good. I like the I like the vibrato in yeah. that. Yeah, that I had was, to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, there was some hints of teenage awkwardness. In yeah, that. I, picked up, <laughs> <laughs> I picked up some notes. I had to I had to relive uh, a little bit of my adolescent hood there. <laughs> yes. I gave it up a long time ago. We were all with you. Yeah, there was like. A flash 
of acne across your face, oh, and yeah. just as soon as it came, it was gone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm mysterious that way. Oh my god. Okay, uh, so deeper. Let's let's. Uh, man, so this movie wastes no time. No, it, no. Uh, you know, you you read the summary, you know that it's about um, a man and an alien. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and within five minutes, you're on the planet. You're stranded. They're seeking shelter. Yeah. So basically, this movie kicks off with a. It's basically a voiceover by Dennis, Dennis Quaid. Quaid. There's a and, lot of that. Yeah, and it and it lasts basically through the whole movie intermittently. That voiceover and. He is sort of describing this war that has been waging in, sort of like in the far parts of the galaxy, far away from Earth, between the human race and this race of humanoid reptilian-like aliens called the Drax. And there is this sort of hub, this spaceship-type hub that Dennis Quaid is on, and it comes under attack by some Drac, sort of like fighters yeah like fighter jets yeah. basically uh the the x-wing version yeah. like the, the enemy mine version of the X-wing. short range fighters yeah yeah and it definitely i don't know if any of you guys out there uh are battlestar galactica fans but the first five minutes definitely give off that bsg vibe you know mm. um it's it's got that that 80s nostalgia and the designs of the ships um, are very reminiscent of those 80s classics uh, so it, 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 it's definitely through me the first couple minutes. I was like, wait, is Dennis Quaid part of BSG? Are we watching a new chapter? No, no. Okay, we're good. <laughs> that kid looks at the Galactica the same way I look at the Galactica. Sorry, I, I couldn't get away from Battlestar Galactica without throwing out a Dwight. Yeah, I get like. it. <laughs> I was with you on that one. Yeah. I, was, I was trying to hold it in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, you're totally right. It definitely has that vibe. And yeah, so very quickly, you've got basically like voiceover. Then you've got um, this brief battle. Quick dogfight. Yep. And uh, basically in the battle, Dennis Quaid both shoots down a Drac fighter doesn't blow up, but shoots it down, and his ship also crashes. So they both end up on the planet, and Dennis Quaid's co-pilot, I guess, uh, or maybe... Navigational Navigator, officer. yeah, because he wasn't a gunner, because Dennis Quaid was definitely gunning. Yeah. Oh, do you think he, <clears throat> he dies. He chases him into the planet, basically. Like, yeah. It's, it's Dennis They're... Quaid's hate for the enemy that, like, just... That, that causes the crash. Like... He was not in his right mind. You know, the the reason why he crashed is because he was... Laser focused. Yeah, out for blood. Yeah, that's 100% accurate. That's... uh, And a great setup to the story. Like, not only in in the voiceover is he really just seething with hatred for the Drax, but that scene, you're right, Mark, totally illustrates it. Like, he's chasing the Drac at his own peril Mm -hmm. into the planet. As his navigator's pleading with him to stop. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, the, the engines are overheating, and, like, we're too close to the planet, and, like... We're running out of weapons. Yeah, right. <laughs> Everything's fucked. Go back to the hub. <laughs> he's, essentially, he's essentially chasing his own victory at any cost, mm-hmm. and at all cost. It's one of those revenge narratives where, you know, he was wronged, and he will do anything to right that wrong, even if it means his own death. And, and the irony that the audience definitely feels, or at least should feel, that... He his character at this point really doesn't is like they go out into this dogfight and he blows up like three Drac ships mm-hmm. and 
then a Drax ship blows up one of his friends, and he just loses his shit, and he's so angry, and you're like, you just straight up killed three of them, and you're laughing about it, and then a switch flips when, like, I mean, I know you're, you know your friend died that's terrible, but, like, you don't see the irony in, like, taking a life and not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really like it's oh actually almost kind of a tough scene to watch because yeah. he seems crazed and he seems like irrational and bloodlust. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Yeah, he was very uh, two dimensional at the beginning of the film, and he he adds himself a third uh, as the movie progresses. And um, some might say that's what the movie is about. Yeah. So so they crash in two <coughs> separate separate areas. Um, Dennis Quaid buries his navigator, sees wreckage way off in the distance. And assumes correctly that it's the uh, the enemy ship. He journeys out to him. Um, there's this sort of cat and mouse game where he's watching him from behind a boulder. Tries to light this guy on fire by like just destroying the lake that this you know. He guy basically is in. pours space age transmission fluid into the <laughs> lake and then shoots it with a magnesium flare and. Uh, we'll get to quotes later, but there was a good one at that moment. It was it was pretty priceless. And the the look on Quaid's face when he lights this lake on fire was just sheer hate and jubilance at the possible death of his adversary. It was it was like the horrific death, like the burning death. Uh, yeah, I remember like the like I think I breathed. I was like, God damn! Like, yeah, that was it was brutal. Bit much. <laughs> And then, like, so there's just some back and forth. He ends up actually being captured and tied up, um, you know, in, in quick order. And then he prompt uh, very quickly is demanding food from this creature that he had just previously tried to, you know, melt na- melt into nothing. <laughs> and he's, like, really abrasive about it. Give me food. And he starts, like, smacking his lips together. Um, and that's actually the first bit of communication that they have. He is his smacking of his lips because he's trying to tell him that he's hungry for you know whatever reason and then the um i just i'll keep ref- the the drax i guess is it, yeah. is it drac drac is singular it's d-r-a-c okay and and drax is like d-r-a-c-s is plural but yeah it's not drax like uh drax the destroyer no yeah which so is x i believe that that drac whatever um starts smacking his mouth and it's it's that mimicry in that that one scene that like it, that's kind of like the catalyst for the um, for them eventually learning each other's languages. Um, is I, I think that that's probably the point where they were, you know, he was communicating and he was hungry and he was acknowledging that that's what he was after. Um, I think that was the first real communication that they had. Yeah, definitely. And also, during or shortly after that scene, it becomes evident that this planet is prone to, like, meteor showers, like, really aggressive ones that are hitting the ground and, like exploding exploding and posing like a real health risk <laughs> health risk like i'm the from the fucking cdc yeah. it's a health risk you know meteor showers <laughs> the smoke from the meteor uh upon inhalation is is possibly toxic do you or a loved one have mesothelioma <laughs> it could be from meteor crashes good news all you need is a freaking turtle shell yeah. <laughs> uh, oh my okay so they end up realizing really quickly that they need each other even though they don't like each other very much and they end up moving to higher ground building a shelter and which immediately falls down yes oh that's a great great bit 
It is a pretty great fit. Uh, yeah, Dennis Quaid is trying to build a sort of, like, Earth-like shelter out of... Sticks and rocks. Yeah. Like and piling rocks on sticks and sticks on rocks. Sticks on rocks and sticks on rocks and sticks on rocks and sticks on rocks. Sorry, I was, <laughs> I was at the club. The Drac Club. The Drac Club. Dude, let's open a club named Drac. Yes. Was that, were you making it plural? Drax. Drax, okay, Drax. <laughs> right, what, what were we saying? Yeah, so they're up sort of on higher ground. They build a shelter, and I think we can sort of breeze through the next big chunk by saying, like, it's a developmental period. It's not a montage, but it's a little like a montage, mm-hmm. where they're basically, like, in a series of very short, very condensed scenes. Dennis Quaid is learning the Drac language. The Drac, uh, who he calls Jerry... <laughs> Dennis Quaid's character. Based uh, on some innocuous piece of dialogue, he heard a sound that kind of sounded like Jerry and decided, yep, that's his name. I, th- I think it actually was his name. I think it was, like, the family name that he had to, like... Oh, but it's, yeah. Because it sounds similar, but, like, it's definitely... His family name is definitely not Jerry. No. But it's, it's, it's a little reminiscent of the scene in Shanghai Noon when his name is Tiangwan, and he's, like... John Wayne? I want him John Wayne the whole time. Like, yeah. That's pretty great. Right, so in this sort of middle sequence, they're developing, they're learning each other's languages, they're getting used to their environment. Um, so one of the things that, that Mark had mentioned were the space turtles. Mm, I had an issue with that. I mean, he... So he, he hits this space turtle shell, and I guess the, uh, the inference is that if I can hit it... That it's bulletproof. That it's meteor proof. Yes. Which is a whole nother caliber of proof beyond Space bullets. bullets. Yeah. So, okay. I I will, like, totally concede the notion that hitting it with a rock from your hand is, like, a very silly test. Um, you that defend probably only, you know, only the worst engineers would, would, would engage in that test. However, from, like, a biological standpoint, I feel like the argument could be made, and I'm totally stretching this, but, okay. like, I feel like this, this computes in my head. That these turtles did evolve on this planet, and if this planet is as prone to meteor showers as it's shown in the film, the shell that's on their back could very well be meteor-proof in order to protect them from, like, the continuous almost shower of meteors that's that's raining down upon them. At least temporarily. Yeah, yeah, at least deflect one or two. Yep. And they do not go into that in the film. And if they had, I feel like we wouldn't be, you know, it would have been easily explained away that way. But instead, they decided to explain it by, like, Dennis Quaid being like, they're meteor proof. And he, like, grabs a rock and he, like, hits the shell. And (laughs) And then he puts it on his head to display shelter. Shelter. We can make a shelter out of it. (laughs) Never mind that these rocks are moving so fast that they are on fire. (laughs) From space. From space. Space fire. Space fire. But I will concede... Your logic holds up. Whatever. <laughs> Strength in numbers. Put enough shells together, could stop anything. Just hit it with a rock. <laughs> Space rock. Space rock. Okay. That's a good beer by uh, Shorts. Yes. Space rock. Shorts, if you want to sponsor this podcast, please reach out to three. That is the number three, men and a basement at gmail.com. We would be happy for your support and your beer. All right. Definitely the beer. Yeah, honestly, you don't have, you don't have to sponsor us. Like, we... we this is low production, but... You don't need to support us either. We just want your beer. Yeah, just send, send beer. Just give it to us. Um, okay, so we got the space fort. Uh, or, I'm sorry, the, the turtle fort. So they're communicating. They're bickering like an old married couple. It's adorable. You know, it really is. And it, it kind of forms that, that chemistry with them. And then there is this talk of uh, 
of religion, more or less. Dennis Quaid's character starts to learn the religion of... Shizmet. Shizmet. And Dennis Quaid shares the religion of Mickey Mouse. Yes. Um, the great and wise Mickey Mouse. Yeah. No, that's actually in the movie. But I think it was it was through this discussion... I feel like you have to explain that scene in the movie now. Yeah, it's pretty good. Like... No, Mr. Pig can't do it justice. <laughs> so, okay. So, they're arguing about... Um, well, it starts off with the the Drac, uh, played by Louis Gossett Jr. He's he's reading this like small book, clearly like a religious book, around his neck, and Dennis Quaid is like, "Why are you always reading that book?" Blah blah blah, and he's kind of getting on him about it. And his response is basically to explain that this is a religious book by our holiest Drac, um, the great teacher Shizmet, the great teacher Shizmet, and. They kind of get, like, bickering about it, and Dennis Quaid says some, like, not-so... I'm going to say not-so-PC things, like like people are going to be offended by, like, what he said about a made-up fucking lizard people's religious guy, but he, he basically says, like, shizmat eats shit, and... Uh, not basically. He says those exact words. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and the Drac comes back with Mickey Mouse. Uh, because... A big uh, dope. Dennis Quaid had said, as the old adage goes, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Which we all know, we've all heard, and um, our favorite token Drac, Jerry, says, is this one of your wise teachers? And Dennis Quaid says, yes. He goes by the name of Mickey Mouse. (laughs) And this was like a pretty, like, this was at least, I would say, I forgot to mention that that scene that sets up the funniness, but, like, it was probably 10, 15 minutes before the scene where they're yelling about Shizmat and Mickey Mouse, and it's, like, you sort of bury it and forget about it, and they're, like, you know, again, in this later scene, they're, like, at each other's throats, basically, and he's, like, Shizmat eats shit, and, like, he's, like, Mickey Mouse is a big dope, and then, like... But they're being sincere at the time. Very sincere. And Dennis Quaid's reaction is priceless. He just, like... Loses his mind. He does. He starts to, like, laugh, but he can't laugh in the middle of an argument, so he just, like, does that thing where you purse your lips, and, like, your eyes start watering, and he just, like... 90 degree turns and walks away sure. like off camera right clearly <laughs> clearly lost the argument can't come back yeah. <laughs> so okay they're they're doing this um man and uh, how long does this go on see this is one of my my criticisms of it is i don't know how much time we spend with jerry and um and dennis um, willis is the character's name willis. will yeah because it <laughs> Well, I enjoyed all of it, and it's all really important for what comes next. I mean, you, this is why you have to go through this in order to care about the characters and to understand kind of their mindsets. But it's it's definitely drawn out in this this, yeah, this period. It um, definitely is, and I yeah, that's the component that I alluded to earlier that I think makes the film feel longer than it is mm-hmm. because. They have to make the audience sympathetic to how long and how drawn out their experience on this planet was that it basically makes the film feel long and drawn out. And mm-hmm. and they're, like, doing a good job at making you feel that way, but it also, like, there's no way sort of to divorce that. Well, and they can't depict that they're slowly and meticulously learning each other's languages without showing that on screen. So yeah. every scene that we go, you know, forward... They're both getting a little bit better at each other's languages. The grammar starts to fall together. The accents start to build. And and you kind of get to a, a feel for, okay, they've been here a while. But 
it starts to feel like, okay, I've been here a while. Mm-hmm. And, and so each each one of these scenes that's pieced together by the next, you, you, you kind of don't have any scope of how long they're going to continue. Because some of these scenes are long, some of them are short, and you don't know the time span that has elapsed between the two. So you're, you're kind of piecing things together as you go along. And it doesn't feel fractured, uh, but at the same time, you, you think, okay, I missed something along the line here. But they do a really good job of explaining away the missing pieces. They build that using subtext and context, which I truly enjoyed. It, it, it didn't feel dizzying. I didn't feel confused or lost. So that was important. Mm-hmm. And when, um, when the, the change happens in them, like you feel like it's earned. You know, they, they've earned each other's trust. They've earned each other's friendship. Um, when, well, I guess we, we can move on to it. Eventually, Jerry dies after revealing that he is, well, when it is, when, when, when they we, are. Yeah, actually, I noticed that this time of watching this movie is we do say he, like, and we will probably continue to say he because we know Lewis Gotchis Jr. is a dude and it's mm-hmm. also, he's got a dude's voice. But the the species is meant to be asexual um and like their mode of reproduction is asexual and they do a really good job throughout the film of not applying a pronoun mm-hmm. to jerry and i'm like i was kind of shocked about that for like a 1985 film because they could have just honestly like it could have very seamlessly they could have had the he pronoun yeah and it just i don't think anybody would have noticed so it would have washed over you're saying yeah. you were looking for it this for through this time I was kind of curious because, like, one of the earlier scenes, they, like, they very much establish that. Like, there is no male and female. They give, they just, like, they get pregnant all by themselves and then they they give birth to their own young. And I don't know if I noticed it or tickled my brain or whatever, but, like, yeah, I was was kind of, like, I guess looking for it after the film or during the film and it definitely was not present, which was really interesting. And even at the very end... When like the the narrator switches, it's not Dennis Quaid anymore. There's a different narrator. Yeah, just kind of randomly. He he's referring to a drac, and he says it, mm-hmm. and I was like, or they, I can't remember, but it was they some, it was and it he used was both, it yeah. yeah it was like some some gender neutral like pronouns, which I thought was like really interesting and like props for consistency. Yeah, like if you're gonna have an asexual like you know class of beings, that's probably the most appropriate you know yeah. version of uh, pronouns he is but yeah so um not that the species will typically die when they when they give birth uh in fact there's a whole ritual involved where they will uh, apparently take their young in front of their their council and they'll recite their lineage it is uh when it's clear that um that jerry is not going to survive the childbirth he pleads with, with willis. Dennis, willis's character will's character to, to swear to him that he's going to take his young to Dracon. To, yeah, to Dracon to, it, so that he can be like a full member of their community. It's very important to him that, that, um, that he do this. And initially, Dennis Quaid's character is super hesitant. I mean, because how would you do that, you know? Yeah, he like cracks a joke about it. And like, I feel like in probably what is an amazing display of emotional control, <laughs> uh, Jerry is basically like, I'm trying to be- bestow an honor upon you. I know it's difficult and it seems weird, but this is really important to me. And and I, I hope it's important to you, too. And, and will you let me do you this honor? Mm-hmm. And it was like, 
a really interesting exchange, especially for how hostile their exchanges were in, like, the earlier parts of the film. He really, like, just kept his cool, even though this dude was mocking something that is probably the single most important thing to this being Species. ever. Yeah. Well, I think because not only did they become friends, but, I mean, he picked up on his humor. Like, he knew kind of his mannerisms and... Sarcasm? Know. Yeah. I mean, I can't say that they don't have sarcasm, but, like, he definitely had sarcasm. Yes. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> You could tell. I mean, initially, everything that um, that he said was taken literally, and by this point in it, like they were just like an old bickering couple. So anyhow, um, Jerry Jerry dies after was it Zamis? Zamis. 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 The child is born, um, and then it like the movie pivots a little bit, and now it's a father son movie for like the next 20, 30 minutes or so. The pace picks up considerably and part of that is dennis quaid is raising this kid from a different species that he knows nothing about and so he's basically like learning on the fly but this species also grows a lot faster than humans do so in the span of a couple months this this infant becomes an adolescent yeah so he's he's you know learning words for the first time at like the human age of 12 or 13 yeah Mm-hmm. it's it's really really a cool sequence and it's not again it's one of those things where it's like parts of it are a montage but it's about 50 50 montage and just quick sequences that like develop the relationship between willis and zamis and you know zamis is growing like at an exponential rate and it's mm-hmm. it's really really cool and they develop this very close relationship and they explore all sorts of um i mean i think okay this movie has several themes that like go throughout it. And the most obvious one that they're like extremely heavy handed with is the, this idea of like cultural relativism and like, we are all the same, you know, on the inside kind of stuff. And I feel like that's maybe a little cliche. Now it's a little bit overdone now. And this movie is, is really, it lays it on thick, but this was, this is one of the, earliest movies i can think of that sort of explored that topic so like being heavy-handed is to be expected Mm -hmm. and i really like appreciate this movie for like tackling that at the time that they did and it was the kind of thing that like i grew up watching this movie and i feel like there's a small part of me that does hold on to those lessons of like just because somebody acts different looks different you know walks different talks different holds different beliefs you know does not make them less than it does not make them bad or dangerous it just makes them different, and different is okay. And they explore that in sort of all of its intricacies and depths. Definitely, all throughout the film, but definitely in the first half. And then in the second half, they explore some other sort of challenging topics like raising kids, single parents. You know, even though it's done through like a human and an alien, it, it's step parenting. I mean, if you want to call it that, like there's a lot of like he's trying to raise this kid as his own, but at the same time, it's like somebody else's kid who's like that's their stock and he's you know the kid is questioning like why don't i look like you why do i have three fingers yeah like i i want to look like you i feel ugly and you know he's having to like calm the kid's nerves about that and which which is funny because in the earlier part of the movie he spends a good portion of time telling jerry that he is ugly super ugly yeah and so here he is at this point reassuring and consoling jerry's child you know you're not ugly it's okay that you look different you know there's a real turn you know and it and and by this point it feels earned it doesn't it doesn't feel jarring 
interesting is the wrong word. I, I enjoyed the echo. You know, I, I thought it, it feels really organic. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, and the part that it's in that's intriguing is, you know, this this step parenting. You can see that he clearly loves this kid and he would do anything for zombies. And, and, and at one point, you know, he's he's like you like you said, he's he's consoling zombies and making him feel better about, you know, who he is and who he's been essentially raised to be by this space cowboy that got stranded on this planet and you know he he looks at zombies and he says you know for for a drac you're one good looking kid and it's just kind of a funny moment because like you said earlier he called jerry ugly like 11 times Mm -hmm. and so you know he called him names and and punched him tried to light his ass on fire yeah choked him Choked him, punched him. I think he threw a shell at him at one point, (laughs) the the space turtle shell, which, as we know, can can stop meteors. So that's that's a hefty blow. Verbally berated him. Yes, but it it really is organic. Like it felt it felt earned at that point. Yeah. Another sort of small irony tucked away in there, uh, on top of the like calling Jerry ugly the entire time, and then you know trying to console zombies and be like, "You're a good looking kid." He's like, he says, like you said. As far as Drax go, you're a good-looking kid. And, like, in the very beginning of the film, during, like, the voiceover, or during one of the voiceovers, he says, like, as funny as it sounds, I'll admit, I've never actually seen a Drac before. I'm not not exactly sure what they're like. And so, like, his entire, like, his entire catalog of Drax is one person. He's Jerry and Jerry's kids. And he's like, as far as Drac kids go, you're a good looking one. You're the best looking Drac child I've ever seen. You look way better than your dad. But that's just it. That's the beauty of that scene is like, all of that shit goes away because it's not about trying to reason something out or all this stuff. It's it's about trying to make a kid feel better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. About being in like, kind of an awkward situation and like these awkward situations very much exist in the real world and it's really cool to see that kind of stuff played out just on a different stage and instead of you know different types of people being thrust into this type of situation it's a human and an alien yeah this this movie is very very much about humanity and how we treat each other um i don't I both uh, probably nearly all of the the Drac um, characters that we see, I believe, were played by African Americans, uh, and I don't think that that was done by accident. I think that it was meant to highlight the separation and division amongst ourselves, and how how there are a lot of people that don't know anything about anyone that doesn't look like them, and they hate them for no reason. They've never even seen them. They hate them, and uh, I think that that was probably the main under, you know, undercurrent, the, the the main message of it. I don't think that the casting was was by accident. No, I I would agree. I'd say that the casting was one hundred percent intentional. Um, the the BTA is the corporation that Dennis Quaid's character Willis is a part of, and they they're very whitewashed everything is very white and clean and bright and shiny and the drac uh have sort of this earth earthy yeah earthy tone to them and they have layers of of organic clothing and bumps and scales and it's very very clearly uh, a depiction of the inherent racism um that has you know been around for centuries 
And I, like you said, I think it was 100% intentional and highlighting the fact that we have hated people that we've never even seen. I mean, Dennis Quaid, in fact, in the movie, like you, like we touched on earlier, he shot down three of them and he's never even seen their faces. Yeah. Yeah. I think also kind of in that vein, uh, but pivoting slightly is um, to, to kind of the writing of this film is I feel like that exploration of social issues through a sci-fi medium is a very Roddenberry thing to do. Like, I feel like Star Trek overall did this constantly, and they were always sort of pushing the bounds of, like, holding a mirror up to society through their sort of creative lens, or his creative lens, specifically talking about um, Gene Roddenberry. And this movie really had elements of that, deep elements of that. And mm-hmm. I thought that was that was pretty cool. And that's very clearly like the underlying theme of this movie. But there's so much more to take away. Like there's so many different sub themes, you know, on top of the racial element. Like we were talking about, there's the kid element. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's sort of like a, a social and class element. And it's really cool to like, I mean, honestly, you could talk about this movie probably for... Oh, I could talk about it for days. You could probably write a thesis about this movie. Easily. Just, you know, with a chapter being every, like, subplot. Yeah. Yeah. Time, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every theme that, that, that really weaves its way through. And we're, we're talking about the messages here. I never felt like it was too heavy-handed. Like, I, I didn't feel like I was being preached at. You know, these are things that kind of bubbled up and uh, that kind of echoed our, our reality. Um, but... Uh, I've seen preachy movies. I didn't feel like this was one of them. So when I said heavy-handed, I definitely meant not heavy-handed in terms of preachy, but heavy-handed in terms of kind of riding the line with that, like, cheesiness and corniness. Oh, yeah. It's like the dialogue, like, openly calls out what they're talking about. Like, these are not themes that you have to hunt for or, like, sniff out or interpret. It's right there staring you in the face and, like, the dialogue is really like goofy almost because it's so like aggressively present. And that that's true basically for all themes and even like not themed stuff. Like it's it's even true for like the jokes. The jokes are like they're like overtly over the top. <laughs> they're the just j- like the jokes the jokes had me giggling the whole time just because like you said you know, you get punched in the face with a cheesy line, and it's impossible not to laugh. But the jokes, particularly on on uh, Dennis Quaid's part, were were very intentional, and the dialogue itself between the two main characters is is just fun. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's moments where you get that levity that kind of breaks through the heavy message. And the disconnect between them, you know, it it sort of bridges them together, which makes you endeared to them. Yeah. And I think also like with the heavy handedness sort of going in that vein is I have no I don't know if this is true or not. But like there was a part of me that thought in the movie for a second that this movie almost feels like it was written like in the 50s and not made until the 80s. Yeah, Um, because it had like like the sci fi elements were just exaggerated. You know, they felt very like. I'm going to say War of the Worlds, even though I know that's before the 50s. But, you know, that sort of 50s sci-fi, like, monster, alien, everything super exaggerated space opera kind of shit. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a little bit how it felt. But, you know, yeah, it just felt like... If normal is like a 7, it felt like like an 8.4. 
you know, on yeah. a, it just it was just a little bit like it went a little bit harder on everything, yeah. which is cool, and I love it, and it makes for that 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 beautiful corniness. Speaking of of some of that corniness, uh, I think we can kind of like sum up some of these other kind of general topics here. The soundtrack was very eighties. Oh, one hundred percent. Like we had synthesizers all day and orchestra all throughout. It yep. was a healthy mix. Yep. I felt like the uh, the special effects were kind of what you'd expect for the time. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And like, it's the kind of thing where, again, it's like some people are going to hate it. I can't get enough of it. Practical no. effects, like, light me up with that shit. There's these, like, again, these fucking turtles that are like, they're like a mix between like a turtle and a and trilobite. A yeah. And a, a cockroach turtle trilobite. And it... They're just, they're like, somebody built this fucking thing, and it's clearly fake, but it's also awesome. And, like, there's this little, like, tongue thing that comes out of the dirt. I affectionately called it the penis flytrap, because that's kind of how it works. It basically. It looks like a giant, giant penis that eats you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a really fucking nasty thing under the dirt, like, basically like a sarlacc, mm-hmm. that's just waiting there to gobble things up. And it was a giant fucking, like, monster monster that somebody built with their fucking hands and it was not cg and it was awesome and also on this note because we don't have really this necessarily on our list but like this movie was so beautiful with respect to the planetscapes Mm -hmm. like the planets and space scenes were very clearly like hand-painted and they look stupid and corny now but they're also like very beautiful works of art. And yeah. if you can get past the fact that, like, it doesn't maybe necessarily look exactly like you're looking out into the night sky, it's an incredibly imaginative way of portraying these, like, very foreign, bizarre alien worlds. Mm-hmm. And the artists, whoever they were, who created these worlds, did an amazing job. The The paintings were incredible. I felt like all the special effects, really, in this movie were, you know, the... the the scapes as well as the the practical effects and the costume everything was very cohesive um you know like you were saying with the with the creatures they were clearly fake with our eyes you know it's 2020 uh, but they were a part of the world and they didn't feel like they were you know clearly they weren't cgi but like when you're watching something and you can clearly tell that something is cgi you can clearly tell it's CGI. So if you're faced with two options, you know, I can clearly tell this is CGI or I can clearly tell that this is special effects. Either way, you have to suspend your belief a little bit. With the practical effects of this movie, it it felt like those creatures were a part of that world. Everything was... Organic. Yeah. That word keeps coming up. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was done It was done very well. Yeah, I, I I would agree, especially with the the planetscape. I mean, there were there were storms, there was snow, there were meteor showers, there was uh, hot lava. I mean, th- you could see the heat in the air around uh, our characters as they're moving through this treacherous landscape. And at one point, winter seems to hit, and there are two seasons on this planet, hot and cold. Um, and, you know, during during the winter they season... They were not in Michigan. No, they were not. <laughs> they were definitely not in Michigan. Um, there was no rain. So <laughs> That's true. We get a day of rain in the fall and in the winter, and every everything else is hot or cold. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and, and you know, during this, during one of these storms, there are there are pillars of stone falling over and crashing onto our characters as they're deftly dodging these giant pillars. And it didn't feel fake. You could tell that it was paper mache, but 
when it hit the ground, the dust moved and the wind was howling and it was it was very evocative. It was it was immersive. Mm-hmm. Nothing looks more real than something that's real. And I've said this on this podcast before, Hollywood, if you're listening, start making real shit again. Yeah. Do For it. real. Do it. Um, okay, hang on. Back to the narrative here. Raising the child. We should probably jump in and, and talk about earlier in the film, about halfway through the film, Dennis Quaid starts getting these like dreams that like a ship keeps visiting the planet. And he ends up like exploring that. And he finds out that basically these space miners who take Drax as slaves basically are visiting the planet and he doesn't want to converse or he doesn't want to he doesn't want to present Jerry with any uncomfortable truths yeah but beyond that he he just doesn't I, I think it goes deeper I think he doesn't want to face the fact that he and the rest of the humans are the bad guys in this scenario yeah I think um also he was sort of presented with an uncomfortable situation where like he probably would have been fine walking up to them even though they're they're kind of like shitheads and very dangerous people he probably could have been like hey i need a ride up to my ship and he didn't he turned around he went back to jerry and he's like i didn't know what i was going to say to jerry blah 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 so he basically didn't say anything to jerry and he basically tried to teach zombies not to go near these people because they're super dangerous and they they take him as a slave and a prisoner yeah, so that's sort of like happening kind of in the background through most of the film. And then it, it basically gets a really violent shove into the foreground when Zombies kind of runs away and tries as, to... As teenagers do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tries to, to interact with them because, of course, he thinks all humans are like Willis, which they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So Zombies uh, is captured. Um, Willis is left for dead. Um just some strange happenstance. He happens. Uh, Willis happens to get rescued. He's brought back to his. I don't know his uh, hub ship. Yeah, um, nursed back to health. He's back on his feet, back in his uniform, shaved his face, and the. Do we need to mention that, that the substantial beard? Well, with that, but I was. Do we need to mention that he was definitely not dead, and they were about to like launch oh, him into space? Yeah, they were literally. <laughs> they had the wreath on the ready, about to shoot him into space and then he's just like ah, it's my necklace it's like the the, the corner or whatever the the goof they had pushing the button was like i like this necklace i'm gonna take it and in the course of trying to take off his his uh, his necklace which happens to be um kind of a, like a mini think like like a mini bible that you might find in like a hotel or something um on him anyway uh this this goofball's trying to take it off his neck and uh he just reaches out and grabs the guy. Like, nobody even checked for a pulse. He also got, sh- like, yeah, he got shot square in the chest. Like, you could see the bullet hole in the, the whole scene. Like, r- straight up in the chest. And then, like, they just, like, picked up his body off this planet and decided to not check if he was okay and just assumed he was dead, placed him in a body bag, and he was, like, on the first fucking, like, line to be shot into space. Like, why didn't they just leave him on the planet? You're right, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much the... Fertilizer, man. Yeah. And then, of course, now they know he's alive, and they have the technology to, like, extract the bullet and, like... We can rebuild him. They had $6 million, exactly, to the penny. And <laughs> So they, they fix him in, like, 24 hours, <laughs> which is what it kind of felt like. No, he does mention that he has no idea how long he was on the operating table. Um, but as soon as he's on his feet, he promptly steals a ship and races back to this planet to save zombies. 
which uh, I don't know if we need to that this is like a 15 20 minute segment where he's fighting the the miners and the scavengers and uh, ultimately he he rescues zombies and kind of in short order ends up taking him back to zombies home planet and performs the ritual like uh, Jerry had asked him to and it just kind of completes the circle yeah um, and that's I mean I think that's the movie in a nutshell yeah. I know I know we or in we a turtle cut, shell really in a turtle mm-hmm. shell turtles in a half shell turtle yeah. power mm-hmm. I know I know we went over that really quickly so it was kind of a blur not sure if you got it listeners but that's the movie in it's tur- it's great <laughs> it is uh we'll, we'll anything see. else on things that we liked um i particularly again as cheesy and corny as a lot of the dialogue was i really enjoyed the discourse between jerry and willis i don't know uh, listeners if you've ever seen the movie 13th warrior starring antonio banderas but in that movie he actually goes from speaking a version of portuguese to learning the Nordic language just by sitting around the campfire and listening to them. And that's that's sort of what you get here is they are forced to talk to each other or go crazy. And they do both. Mm-hmm. And it's magnificent. Um, linguistically, it's fascinating because, you know, y- you spend enough time around someone who speaks a foreign language, you start to pick up not only on the meaning of the word, but the the context of the word itself. So you hear that word in a sentence, you can kind of pick out what it means. And when you add body language, subtext, emotion, and tone of voice, you really get a full picture. So they're trading each other's languages throughout this film, and it's just fascinating to see, because by the end, Willis is speaking fluent drac, and Jerry is speaking English better than most people I know. So it was it was really wonderful to to see that and the dialogue itself you know the lines that were written for these characters were fantastic yeah fantastic uh, also we should mention that that the drac kind of sound like the cowardly lion when they speak there's a lot of like a wookie almost yeah. yeah but I feel like the cowardly lion does it in the front with like a tongue roll and this is like in the back like. Like uh, almost like a croak. Like mm. a, it's like a. It's it's, like, it's it's like a Wookie, but it's not like it's not as like screechy as a Wookie. Mm-hmm. But it's also not as forward in the mouth. I think as the yeah, it's, the it's less and more. Yeah. Yes. Like yeah. A gentle. Yeah. Uh, as far as things that you didn't like, the only it's more of like a gripe, I guess. But it was the pacing. But I think we've already covered that. Like it was kind of needed for the story that they were telling. So mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that I don't like that. I am going to say that during the movie, I noticed it and I think most people will notice it, but that's not really a criticism, I guess. I don't, I enjoyed this movie pretty much start, start to finish. Yeah. I mean, I agree. A little bit of pacing issue, cheesiness. If you don't like that kind of thing and uh, a little bit heavy handed with, with the writing and the dialogue. I mean, if I had to choose something on this list that I probably would improve, it may be the writing. The, the acting, in my opinion, on the part of the B, C, and D list actors um, <laughs> was was pretty bad. Uh, just oh, objectively, yeah. it was pretty bad. I feel um, like B and C were, like, not particularly well represented. A lot of D list actors. A lot of D. A lot of D. <laughs> oh, wow. There was, there was quite a bit of D in this movie. If you, if you get what I mean. There was a uh, lot of D. Uh, L- oh. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Are we ready to move into quotes? Let's quote the oh, show. Oh, I love this. 
All right, so I, uh, full disclosure here, this was a line that I enjoyed that I had to pick up from from one of these guys because I, I didn't take any notes, um, and I'm kicking myself for it. But one of my favorite bits in there, this is after Jerry's passed, and Willis is trying to figure out what the heck to do with this baby Zamas. And he, he says, you know, what, what do you want me to, to do? You know, run down to the market and buy some Gerber baby drag food? You know, it's just like <laughs> he's at his wits end. He has no idea what to do with this creature. Which is perfectly reasonable. It's, like, absolutely. Like, you don't know what they eat. It's a goddamn alien. Like, what are you supposed to do? Uh, yeah, I got I got two on here. The first one <laughs> is, re- like, the first one I feel like is both the first hardcore moment of levity and it's also the first word that we hear Jerry speak in the movie. The first word of English, rather. And it's when Willis is trying to construct the shelter, and he's pretty much got it there. And the voiceover is going during this construction process, during the montage of the building. And he is talking about how he's learning some of the Drac language. And, yeah, and I'm teaching him some English. And he's picking it up pretty quickly. Or he's learning some words of English. And Willis stands next to Jerry, kind of with his chest puffed out, all proud of his structure. And Jerry's looking at the structure, and the only word he utters is, Shit. (laughs) And then then he proceeds to say, like, what does he say? Not stable. Not stable. (laughs) Just like, the the only fucking thing you hear is, Shit. And, so good. And of course the, the, the structure collapses right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dennis Quaid goes to prove that it's stable, gives it a swift kick on either side, stands back and goes, Hey, look at this, you know? And it it, it immediately collapses into rubble, which was <laughs> very satisfying. Uh the second quote I have is from when Willis is teaching Zami's football, just as like an activity. He's like he he the transition is He's old enough, I've decided that it's time he start his training. And then they're, like, walking into this kind of open area, and you're like, oh, shit, what's he going to train him? And then he's like, this, Zombies, is called football. And they're, like, getting ready, and he, like, created a jersey for Zombies, and it's really cute, and he's teaching him how to play football with this, like, thing that he kind of, like, ripped out of the ground that's, like, sort of, like, ovate in shape, so kind of gets at the idea of a football. And, of course, there's only two of them, so he's kind of modified the rules and shit, but they're having fun, and it quickly turns into, like, again, there's there's a decent amount of montages in this movie. It turns into a cute montage where, like, him, he's playing with the kid, and they're they're running around and doing their thing, and then, like, the montage ends, and they're sitting, and they're sort of, like, discussing the game and, and stuff, and um, sits down. He, like, rips, this, rips the ball open, and it's clearly food, and he like hands it to him and they're talking about football and he's like i like this game and he's like i like it too it's fun right and then he says to zombies you don't normally get to eat the ball that's a bonus (laughs) it's just like in the in the scene because you're so like your heart is so warmed from watching this guy play with his kid you know and then just you don't normally get to eat the ball that's a bonus so cute see uh anybody who's met me knows that i speak in movie quotes constantly so i picked up on a on on a few in this uh in this great movie but we talked about earlier dennis quaid's fun character willis decides to enact his vengeance by setting jerry on fire uh by literally setting a lake aflame with jerry in it 
and Jerry obviously is fine. But the second he shoots this magnesium flare into this lake and the whole thing erupts into beautiful, brilliant flame, he looks down, laughs maniacally, and says, Say your prayers, Toad Face. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, another another great one, which we talked about earlier, when they're having the religious discussion, Jerry very angrily looks at Willis and says, Hey, Dawich. Uh, again, Dawich is his last name, Willis Dawich. He says, Hey, Dawich, your Mickey Mouse is one big stupid dope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Words he learned from Dennis Quaid himself, so I think he's kicking himself a little bit for <laughs> teaching him the word dope. And uh, last but not least, when they're when they're bonding and having a good time, Willis and Jerry are talking, and we've discussed many times that they are old, they are an old married couple. They uh, have been together for quite some time, and they like to rib each other a little bit. One of these days, Alice. One of these days, <laughs> boom, zing, straight to the moon of Drek. Um, so. <laughs> He's looking at Jerry with this with this fondness in his eyes. He's smiling. They're they're having a good time, and they're they're literally fighting for their life right now in the middle of this winter storm. They take shelter in a cave, and uh, Willis looks at Jerry and says, "Hey, maybe we should open up a little place here. I could ruin the food. You could frighten the customers." <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the dialogue is so. I I almost. You know, halfway through this, like, are we watching a censored version? Because yeah, like, right, yeah. he's not swearing. Like, we're using <laughs> words like dope and, like, toad face. And, like, these are words that you throw into, a you know, an R-rated movie so that you can play it on TBS. He does say shit a few times. Uh, he does. And Jerry says it once, which we discussed, which was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but that's that's the worst that it gets. Dope. Dope <laughs> and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And also, like, you know, there there's, like, a an element of that scene where he's like, he's trying to calm Jerry down with humor. And it's like the hilarity of that quote is also sort of married to this very heartfelt and sentimental piece of trying to calm a loved one who's clearly in distress. Yeah. So it's, it's a really like interesting, very enjoyable quote for that reason. Mm Mm-hmm. How do we feel about ratings? Do we want to move on, or Let's, do we have anything else to, to wrap up on that? Well, like we were saying, I think we could talk about this for a while, but I, we've, I feel like it's been thoroughly sliced and diced. I'm ready to rate. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. All right. Um, I'll kick her off here. Um, I am going with a, a delectable 7.6 Zombies. Okay? Mm. Now, we're moving Zombies, which is a... A singular, it's just someone's name here. We're going to move that into the plural category. We're going to use it as a unit of measurement. Okay? That's 7.6 zombies. Or would that be zami? Ooh. That is, that is what a is good... the plural of zombies? Mm. Zamises? Yeah. Zamus. It's like it's like James. Nemesis. I always wonder, like, Nemesis? What, why so many James? Why yeah. not just one James? Yeah. I, so I've James. wondered that a few times. Well, I, when, you're, when you're with... Only one James, it's more of a jam. It is a, That's a jam true. jam. You've been jammed. <laughs> You've been Jeremy jammed. Jam By the way, I will explicitly call out that excellent reference to Mystery Men you had just there. Like, I, I did not miss that. I, I slipped I, it under. Nemesis? Nemesis. Okay, well, what do you Wait, got? What, was your, what was your rating? I'm sorry, I oh, missed it. Oh, was it 7.6 zombies? Oh, man. Okay, so I'm going to jump in just because I, like, un- unusually have this this ready to rock and roll and it's very close to what i was gonna do i was gonna do 7.8 mm. um uh, 
Ooh. That's a solid rating. I yep. dig it. I like it. Yep. I, I I'm gonna let you rate and yeah. then I'm gonna and then I'm gonna jump in with what my other unit of measurement may have been. Oh, okay. I gotcha. So um I I was a little bit more critical of this movie than my other two compatriots here. Um, but I would give this a solid six point eight five shizmets. Nice. Ooh. Nice, nice unit of holy measurement there. Now is that um, a, is that a shizmat or is that a shizma? I think it's a shizma. Okay. Yeah. So he's actually combining measurements because he's pulling from your measurement there with the shizma. Yeah. Well, I think so. So shizmat and shizma. I think it's it's sort of like a U.S. and international units. Okay. Yeah. You know, like a gallon, slightly different, but it's pretty much the same. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, I also had on deck edible footballs. Ah, uh, yes. And I, I was really close between that, but I, I feel like we really had intended to work in as much as possible into yeah. this, and we, we really didn't because I feel like the, the movie's deeper than the that are just everywhere. So I'm really trying to get it out now. Well. <laughs> And and one of my favorite things, again, linguistically, I'm, I'm stuck on this, is they sing the Drac language. So when he's speaking, he's he's singing and humming and, you know, just sort of making noises with his face place. And it's very interesting because when he's talking about the lineage, he's, he's singing. And his singing is more just kind of like... Boof. Yeah, and I think, like, that's sort of, like, yet another of the deeper themes is, like, okay, so there's, like, the racial element, the ethnic element, but there's also, like, the religious element. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the religious stuff was kind of reminiscent of Islam in many ways. Like, so, like... Very much. Yeah, and, like, especially with, like, you're talking about, like, they're they're singing the words of Shizmat, and it's, like, it's very reminiscent of, like, um... Oh, God. Oh, my buddy Yusuf's gonna kill me, but I can't remember the the prayer each day um, is you know sung oftentimes, and when you read from the Quran, oftentimes you sing it. Any of you listeners out there know the answer to this, which I'm sure some of you do. You should let us know. I'm just gonna I'm gonna get off this podcast and I'm gonna text Yusuf right away. And yeah. So, all right, are we ready to to rock and roll and put a bow on this bitch? I yeah. think so. Tag all right, well, tag it and bag it. That is all for the Ulcrep review. Thank you for listening. If you have any ideas for movie reviews, email us at three. That is the number three, men and a basement at gmail.com. You can also find us on iTunes and Google Play or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod, Mark Colpierre, and Action Jackson. All right, and we will see you in cyberspace. <laughs> <laughs>